This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, this is Resource Centre with Audrey Raj. It is the first Tuesday of November and you know how we kick off every new month on Resource Centre. We do our monthly check-in on all things related to psychology at work with organisational psychologist and CEO of OSYC, Hetal Doshi. Happy November, Hetal. Hi, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me back. So today we are going to be talking about the Great Resignation. Where did you first hear about this? Uh, it has been thrown around in the air very, very frequently over the past one year, at least in organizations uh, where a majority of people have been talking about how they're scared that, you know, the, the, the narrative started with we're scared to lose our jobs, but the narrative that's ended with we just want to get rid of our jobs right now. Um, and if, we, if, we, if the great resignation doesn't make sense to you, then definitely the great contemplation does because there is a lot of contemplation about whether or not I'm in the right position, I'm in the right job, you know, is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? So if it isn't the great resignation, then definitely there's something called the great contemplation about a potential resignation of sorts. Um, and that, um, yeah, I think that's just been a very interesting um, conversation that's been going on in the subtleties across all organizations in the past one year. Yeah, so now, uh, right here on Enterprise, we've covered the Great Resignation on almost every other show. Uh, but just so that we that everyone listening in is on the same page with this, maybe you just want to give everyone a bit of a background into what this phenomenon is. It is a phenomenon, right? It It is a phenomenon, uh, definitely. I would also just be a little bit cautious to, you know, think that this is something that's actually going on everywhere. Uh, this was coined, obviously, in the States by, uh, by a professor, Dr. Anthony Klotz. Uh, when he coined it somewhere in April, it was because there were a number of workers who quit their jobs, jobs in a single month and it broke an all-time U.S. record. Um, so economists actually started to call it the Great Resignation. And this um, quitting spirit, as they call it, you know, the spirit to like, finally, you know, we always talk about like, ah, you know, maybe we should quit, maybe we should quit, but then... You know, somebody started and then everybody started going. It's almost like breaking a you know a marathon record or something. Somebody starts breaking the record and then everybody else beats that record, right? So, you know, a whole group of people started and then it, it tipped over the edge. And uh, in July, because of what happened in, uh, in April in um, America, uh, media covered it. In July, even more people left their job. And in August, uh, they set another record of 4.3 million U.S. workers quitting their jobs in August. Um, and that expands from April to August. Um, we have now, I think in the States, about 20 million people who have quit their jobs. And this also expanded to, um, you know, this insight into Western Europe where about 14 million people left their jobs and they're not looking for work. And this is not the first time. In the Great Recession, when that happened in uh, Western Europe, people also ended up having that experience of, yeah, okay, let's just quit our jobs. Um but back in those days, it was a bit more of the older people or those who had more secure jobs. However, it's now more who are those who are young um, and uh, aspiring to just do something on their own. You know, they're like, yeah, if I'm going to have to work from home, I have a laptop anyway. Maybe I can just do something that can make me 2,000 ringgit. Like, why do I need to go all nuts, uh, you know, doing this for somebody else? Uh, but that's not just the young ones. They're also those in the... Um, 
uh, service industry or frontliners who have to bear the brunt of having to go back to the workplace, risking their health, uh, working way over time. And uh, yeah, this, this massive, massive word that keeps coming out, which is uh, burnout and organizational injustice. So I just feel like I'm being unjustly treated. Uh, so, and not only in Western Europe or in the States, but even in Vietnam, where a lot of migrant workers, they moved from their rural homes to the cities, but because there was a big dry up, they moved back to their rural homes and they don't have any intentions of coming back as yet. Even in the UK, um, uh, even with the NHS, 21% on top of this are considering leaving. So the medical industry obviously is massive amounts of burnout. And of course, energy is something that is quite amazing, right? Cannot be created, it cannot be destroyed. But once it starts transferring, it becomes a little bit of a virus. With, you know, when we start talking about it, we start paying attention to it, we begin to end up seeing more or experiencing more of it as well. Right. But do we now know the root cause of this great resignation? Why are people just deciding to you know, quit on mass, like, is it just down to burnout and um, organizational uh, injustice? I'm, I'm sure there's more to it, right? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, you know how, I mean, I don't know about you, Audrey, but my grandparents, they moved countries on a boat, right, to give us a better life, so to speak. And I think it's like generation after generation, everybody wants to have a better life or give a better life to somebody. But I think now it's more like I'm not just I'm not going to tolerate a life, um, you know, that is not good enough. We can do better and we should do better. And when these whispers are not heard, they become screams. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's it's a long time coming and it is. I'm genuinely quite pleased because in, in our world, in psychology and, and human resources, the biggest pillar is all about justice. Um, this is why HR departments existed, because we wanted to ensure people didn't feel like slaves anymore. You know what I mean? And so when they went to the workplace, they had HR departments to prevent these kind of experiences. So <clears throat> I think there's this new belief systems or the belief systems have always been there, but now it's amplified of we can do better. Right? We, we can and we should and we want to be better and do better and we want our children to have a better life so we don't want to be doing this anymore. The second thing is that we have more power um, because a lot because of a lot of social media platforms. right? Uh, so I can give you so many examples of where uh, employees who are not heard to or you know, um, they experience different types of abuse or different types of um, unhealthy experiences over a period of time compounding to affecting their mental health or their physical health. Uh, when they couldn't turn to the organization itself to get a solution, they ended up going on social media platforms. And now in the labor market, so this, this pressure has changed from the employees having all the power to uh, employers having the power to employees having the power, which may not completely be true, but definitely there is been a, there's definitely been a shift. Yeah, We also, you know, this, uh, this belief of on top of we can do better or we have more power, we will not tolerate as becoming a very big one. Yeah, so you've got this whole uh, movement of, you know, of course, you've got the Black Lives Movement, you've got the women agenda, you've got, uh, you know, the youth coming up really strong as well in Malaysia saying that, you know, we could probably, you really should probably have younger leaders um, in, you know, in, in places of power and stuff like that. So we will not tolerate inequality and, um, you know, a, a disrespect of sorts just because we are either minority of sorts, whatever. So this thing has come up because of the great rudeness as well, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, the level of rudeness, um, 
in um, airline industries, right? So you see, it, maybe the rudeness would have been there, but because of social media, it's amplified, right? So you can see people double parking or parking like, you know, triple parking or whatever it is, right? And they will be captured and it will be shared across social media. Rudeness is just not really tolerated anymore. People will take a screenshot of your car plates. People will take a screenshot of your WhatsApp messages. People are just simply not going to tolerate any form of injustice or rather, even if they have to, they are definitely trying more and more ways to get evidence so that they can put it up somewhere. And so this idea of zito, which is a zero tolerance, used to exist mostly in the physical realm. So zero tolerance of any physical related hazards. Um, you know, for example, like cranes, you know, if you're working in a high risk environment, there are cranes. So we have to make sure that there's, um, you know, a complete 100% safety measure in place. But now we will not tolerate has gone from a physical non-tolerance of hazards to a psychosocial non-tolerance of hazard. Meaning I will not tolerate me going through mental torture or me then also creating a social environment where there is any kind of uh, negativity or toxicity. Toxicity, yeah. Toxicity, yeah. <laughs> so it's gone from physical to like psychosocial as well. Um, and you know how we used to say like we want work-life balance? Now it's like we want life or we want life-work balance. So, you know, there was a time where I think companies tried to spin it around. I think if you remember, Audrey, because this conversation has gone on for like decades, right? As long as I've heard, been in this industry, we've been talking about work-life balance. Or work-life integration. Exactly. That was the spin, right? So that spin was there. I think it was created to say, yeah, but we don't really need the nine to five. But now that we're working at home, we want the nine to five or... At least we want to have what we define as our own idea of balance. And to me, as a psychologist, like I know now through all the evidence in the world, you cannot be having work-life integration. You need a complete segregation because your mind needs to completely shut down and recover. It's almost like telling a sports person, right? Hey, why don't you have like sports and recovery integration? What in the world is that? When you're performing, you're performing. When you're recovering, you're recovering, right? Can you imagine trying to tell them like, Oh, yeah, you know, while you're recovering, why don't you do some sports as well? Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense, right? So this um, notion that we're seeing in organizations now where what we call the great re-migration, right? Going back into the workplace and stuff like that. So there are companies being a little bit more um, because the organizations may be a bit bigger. So they have these certain policies and they, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, some companies may not have learned enough from the pandemic and they're, uh, throwing this blanket policy around saying that we want to continue with team A, team B, one week rotation or two week rotations. And people are not, go they're just like, no, <laughs> I know because the workplace is insane. We actually have back to back meetings. We have three meetings at the same time. Now you want me to go to the workplace and come back. I have three extra hours of that. Then you also have even managers or you have leaders themselves saying, I don't want to go back to the workplace because in the workplace, remember, we decided to have open open work concepts, open offices, office spaces. So if I have an open, open office space and I want to have a meeting with my team and I have team A with me, but team B is at home and I want to discuss confidential issues, where am I going to be doing this and where am I going to be looking? I thought eye contact was important. So now I'm looking at the people in front of me, but I'm also looking at the laptop. And um, some people on the laptop are on video. Some people are not working on video. And this idea of like the hybrid creating a, a major migraine, but plus also then you also create this team A, team B experience of 
non-inclusion as well. Like, oh, but you said it when you were with them on those days and I was not there then, or you guys went for lunch on those days, you guys are becoming closer, all of that stuff as well. Um, and so I think that is pushing for what what a new belief or a belief that is coming up very strong. We want what makes rational sense. So stop coming up with things that don't make sense anymore. Um, and we and it, it, this is the one that I really like the most. Um, this one is called "We do not want to be interfered with." So you know where a lot of times employees used to fight for like things that they wanted. Now they're fighting for things that they don't want. So these are things called negative liberties. So earlier we used to fight for positive liberties, meaning these are things that will help us to progress. But actually now we are fighting for things that are preventing us from progress or actually making us regress. For example, back-to-back -back meetings, like. So this idea of negative liberties and fighting for negative liberties or this type of freedom, uh, which is I do not want to have all these disturbances and these um, uh, barriers in my life and stop creating them. Uh, things like even hierarchy, for example, why are you creating hierarchy? Can you stop getting in my way? Uh, and people are pushing for these things as well. I think lastly, um, we want to get rid of bad management is the final belief. Mm. Um, you left the best really... one for last. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're done with bad management. Like We're just done with people who do not go on listening tours and even worse so, go on listening tours, but things fall on deaf ears is um, the next biggest thing because people are willing to earn a little bit less. I kid you not because they are happy to work in like two or three jobs at the same time, but they want, when they go to work, you leave me alone and you allow me to have a good experience. Don't irritate me. Don't undermine me. Don't condescend me. And here's the thing, like if you are a leader listening to this right now and you think this doesn't happen in your organization, what I've realized is that every time we facilitate a session, leaders walk out saying, I didn't know that. So we cannot assume that we that our organizations are in a good space or state as long as they're human beings it is very likely that we're going to have negative experiences so if your organization doesn't have one yeah don't think you're paying attention because every family every organization would have it so if you really know what's going on you would know that there's negativity going on and that your space would be to remove negative liberties or uh, some of these negativities i think yeah it's a tough time for leaders but I think it's a beautiful phenomenon because when you're listening, you actually create a lot more possibilities, uh, business opportunities as well. So you're not listening because you, you know, it's all about empathy only, but you're listening because it helps the business as well. Right. Okay. Uh, we're going to need to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, uh, we discuss solutions to the great resignation, what organizations can do to retain talent. And, you know, like you just mentioned earlier, Hetel, uh, increase growth opportunities as, as well. All that and more happening on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Benchmark for Managers, BFM 89.9.
You are listening to Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj, organizational psychologist and CEO of Osaic. Hetel Doshi is online with me right now. It is episode seven of our Psychology at Work series, and on this episode, we are discussing the Great Resignation. Now, Hetel, um, before the break, we were discussing the multiple, the various root causes for uh, this phenomenon, the Great Resignation, right? But Uh, what is the Great Resignation telling us about how the world is changing, or, or how the world of work uh, is changing for us? You know, just personally, this is not something that is happening in 2021. This is something that has been happening across the history of humanity. What is what is what what is going on though is, is that it is becoming more and more prevalent, more and more visible, and more and more aggressive. So the first thing that's definitely going on is a shift in power. Um, where there's always a social hierarchy to who has more power. And here's the thing, right? And a piece of research, research that was done uh, it, within even animal communities, right? Uh, uh, in animal communities that have very high hierarchical structures, the, um, the leaders at the pack, at the top, uh, they are the ones that experience the least amount of stress. So the ones with the most amount of power, although they have a lot of responsibility, they have the least amount of stress because they have a lot of more control. Yeah, we've discussed this before in a previous episode. Yes, exactly. And so now um, people just do not want to be right at the bottom of the food chain anymore. And so people are fighting for what they believe is some level of equal power of sorts. So number one would be the world. I think is not changing, but is definitely evolving and pushing more towards equality. Um, And it is a march towards freedom. I think Adam Grant said it really well. It is definitely a march towards freedom. It always has been, and it will continue to be. The second thing that has really, really shifted is that where I think a lot of bosses would say, "Wow, you know, the younger ones—they're so daring. They don't even have a job and they quit because net freedom is more important than net worth now. Uh, because with freedom, you can find more ways to make money. But if you are just compounded in Forced to do something in a very constrained manner, you're always going to be limited. So with re with so I think this is the massive shift from net worth to net freedom because net freedom can give you more net worth, mm. if that makes sense. Right now, um, Hetal, do we have any data for how the Great Resignation is impacting Malaysia? You know, like is there any way to draw a comparison? To um, on how uh, this phenomenon is um, affecting Malaysia or impacting Malaysia versus the world. So um, I think it, recently, I think Malaysian Employees Federation president uh, president I think is Syed Hussein said that the attrition rates uh, uh, doesn't necessarily uh, you know show that there is a mass, great resignation uh, uh, being experienced in Malaysia uh, based on the data that they have. Um, I would just, I would just probably look at immediately the clients that I have because you know sometimes with data it's just a questionable thing. Um, I think if people aren't resigning, they're definitely always talking about uh, the experiences in the workplace. So what I what I have noticed is that there's no such thing anymore as one team one dream. So it's not that an organization is going through massive resignation. But it is many teams, many dreams. Meaning, you would see teams in an organization that have mass resignations. So it's no longer about like the big organization losing mass amounts of people at one time. But you would see different teams in organizations and having those people saying, you know what, enough is enough. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm I don't have data to back up what could be going on 
uh, in Malaysia itself, but definitely from you know uh, water cooler conversations or rather MS Teams or Zoom call conversations. <laughs> yeah, these conversations have yeah, it's, it's it's definitely continuing. All right, so let's focus on solutions now. Um, what can we do? What can organizations? What can leaders do about? trying to remedy the situation? Uh, how, how do we deal with the Great Resignation? I think it's a very, very simple solution. And I really want it to be as simple as possible. Um, it, it's almost like a marriage, right? Like, oh, how do you think a marriage will probably continue to last? Do you think it's going to last if there's inequality and injustice? No, right? And divorce rates are at 50% already now. And that just means that people are simply not tolerating any kind of relational dysfunction, even at its most basic order, which is in marriage. So the same thing in organizations. Your best bet is to be a nice person. You know, and everything comes out from being a good person rather than a policy of sorts or whatever, a good policy. So what would a good person do? You, you, if you want your employees to be performing, right? If you want anything from anybody, you you have a better chance of being able to get something out of them if you're a good person and if you've been nice and if you've reciprocated. You have the best bet, okay? So you could do anything in the world. Your best bet is that if you've been a better person and you have reciprocated something. Um, so I, I hate to make it so simple, but it comes back down to like, do you want people to choose you? Okay, so a couple of things that I will recommend on top of just being nice, yeah, because sometimes being nice is not the only thing. Um, but number one, make it very, make it a conscious effort uh, to drive in conversation, conversation as an agenda. So when you, when you, right now we have a lot of meetings about work. So the first thing I would definitely recommend is have conversations about what can, re, what can, uh, what can be, what we can do to address all these negative liberties, all these things that are coming in our way. What can I, as a leader, do to get it out of your way? Um, so having these conversations, and I don't think there's anything to be scared about because sometimes leaders are like, "Oh my God, I'm so scared about what I'm going to hear." But if you go in and say, "I'm sorry, I don't know what might be going on or what might not be going on," uh, you know, of course you want to have smaller teams. Um, yeah, so we call it like a listening tour, not really like a conversational tour. You, know, you go in to listen and then you actually come up with an action plan. What did the leaders do and what did the employees do? Um, there is a structured way of doing it. I can't get into too much of detail, but there's a structured way of having these listening tours or listening circles where everybody's an equal over there. You know, another thing, I think a lot of what I want to say is to get rid of stuff. I don't think it's about adding anything. A lot of what I think should be done is getting rid of stuff. The second thing would be like definitely getting rid of bad management. So if there's anybody who is, um, and I, I don't mean get rid of bad management as in like getting them to leave the organization straight away, but get rid of bad management practices. And if you have to, the people as well. Yeah, because um, uh, what has happened is that because there have been certain companies that are very, very pro getting rid of management, bad management practices, even if you are a top performer, because previously it used to be like top performers, but if you're a bad manager, we still keep you because you're a top performer. But nowadays, organizations are not going to do that because there's a whistleblowing and there's all kinds of stuff. So definitely do not be afraid to um, have conversations about um uh, firing bad management practices, not necessarily the managers themselves. And so what I'm really surprised about is that organizations have not been doing enough of frequent feedback sessions. I'm really shocked about that because it's been decades where people have been talking about feedback sessions, but we haven't really been doing that. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Now, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was increasing uh, growth opportunities, you know, in the organization. So people f- don't feel like they have to leave in order to grow. So what can we do here? Yeah, I think you're spot on, right? A lot of people feel like they need to leave. Uh, I actually even know people who have left Malaysia during the pandemic and joined teams in other countries because they think they'll be able to get more money. And then when they come back to Malaysia, then even though they're still sitting in Malaysia, yeah, they join another team and somewhere else they come back. Increasing growth opportunities, I think it starts with number one, what do you run as a company, right? And then just being very clear about talking to everybody in your team about where all these opportunities are at and making sure that you have these conversations in a way that is also driven by the employee for them to be able to get into that space. Um, But I have to say, right, this increasing of growth opportunities, it is something that only two people can create. I think a company can create a plan, but there are so many times in my organization, for example, that employees create their own growth opportunities as well. And they have these conversations proactively rather than waiting for me, for example. And they create new opportunities for themselves. They open up new markets. They, You know what I mean? Like the world is our oyster right now. Um, And I think if we if we focus on having growth opportunities as a conversation again, rather than a one-way plan, then there's so many things that could be done. The next frontier of consciousness in an organization is the ability to have very high-level discovery conversations. So everything that I'm talking about right now is all based on having a conversation where two people can discover something, not one person. Things like even increasing pay, right? Um, Yeah, these are things where, okay, maybe if I can't increase your pay, but maybe I can increase other things or reduce the time that you work and stuff like that. Um, So in these conversations, how do we also influence and negotiate with each other without feeling scared? Um, Yeah, so one, one last thing actually that came up very, very strongly and I was very, very shocked by is when bosses do not actually protect their employees from uh, companies' clients. So it could be internal clients. So for example, if you're in a HR, if you are in a HR department and you are dealing with a sales team, for example, and the sales team is not happy with the way that HR creates policies or processes and they begin to say, make fun of HR or they begin to say things that HR is like useless or like, you know, HR, you're always slow to the game, whatever not. But the bosses themselves do not actually protect the employees from what customers or clients actually say. Uh, and that is really, really horrible. Or bosses do not uh, put a barricade to uh, uh, by using the word no. So if there's a lot of workload coming from clients and stuff like that, just saying no. Um, so this idea of leaders now becoming a lot of things is a very, very important force. It's almost like having to protect your family. But uh, yeah, what I'm seeing is that a lot of times bosses just may not be helping their teams to say no when they see any kind of um, malpractices of sorts towards their team. Yeah. So you see it, but you don't really address it. And you're like a bystander that is witnessing something bad happening, like a car crash happening to your team. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just to recap, be nice. Um, (laughs) The listening tour, uh, you've got to get feedback. You've got to remove bad management practices. And Mm -hmm. last but not least, yeah, I think for, for the last one, it was definitely to ensure that growth opportunities are something that is co-created. Yeah, so it's not just down to the leaders to kind of create a plan, but it needs it needs employee input as well. You know, it needs to be that two people, like you said, to create that plan. Absolutely. Right. Now, uh, Hethel, just before uh, I let you off the hook, any advice to share, um, you know, as a leader during this time and watching 
some of your talent, um, some of your really good talent leaving? Do you have any advice on how leaders can uh, deal with the situation? You know, you know, I think <laughs> I think it's a very difficult thing to be doing sometimes, but to have a very honest audit, or honest interview with the person leaving and saying, "What did I miss out on?" That would have that that allowed your eyes to wander that allowed your ears to wonder, that allowed your heart to wonder, that, that eventually made your fingers write the resignation. What was the slow and the fast movement towards that? And what advice would you give me? And also then asking for an opportunity for you to also give advice for the person who was leaving, uh, because that person may not have said things that they should have or could have. Um, sometimes a lot of us think that we said we told our bosses but we actually never really communicated or had a conversation we probably said it so subtly that somebody may have missed out on it so I think it's a, a really good opportunity to have a nice breakup um, and who knows there are so many people who after breaking up they get back together as well right like there could be people who even ended marriages and they got back together as well so I think it's a very big missed opportunity that in a vulnerable time uh, for people to two people to actually sit down and say, what did I miss over here? And I think if you if you have enough in you, um, then to apologize greatly for anything that you may have done, and to continue to ask and offer support as human beings that continue to adventure in this thing called life, um, and then of course make sure whatever you have heard that you do something about it um, after that. Uh, and I think, you know, for me personally, the the big step up in my leadership has been through very, um, you know, abrupt resignations that I've had in my company and I've missed out on stuff. And I greatly yeah, appreciate having had that chance because otherwise I would never have grown as a leader and wouldn't have this great team that I have today as well. So don't be afraid to just start off with a sorry and please, can we have a coffee? Even if the person says, oh, I was three, here for three years. Why didn't you never have coffee with me? That just say sorry. And um, yeah, hopefully you can have that chat. Thank you so much for that, Hetel. Uh, and that is a wrap for this episode of Psychology at Work. Now, if you missed out on any part of this conversation, or if you'd like to catch up on some of our previous session where we discussed uh, the imposter syndrome, conflict at, conflict at work, or even how to make stress work for you at work, go look for the podcast on our website, that's bfm.my, or the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. And if you'd like uh, more information on Hetel and the work she does uh, with organizations uh, what's the website Hetel? it's www.o-psych.com or you can just connect with me directly on LinkedIn at Hetel Doshi right I've been speaking with Hetel Doshi organizational psychologist and CEO of OSYC my name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Centre on Enterprise BFM 89.9